the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back. And as we head into the weekend, I wish you a very happy uh, weekend. I hope that there's a lot going on in your lives, wherever you are. And if it is in your lives to be helping candidates or helping uh uh, at election um, efforts, uh, best wishes. I know this uh, weekend I'll be uh, at a polling place for at least part of the day on Sunday afternoon. They have early voting, and it's a p- place to hand out uh, information and talk to voters as they come in. You know, that's a that's a mixed bag. In the old days, I feel like you could meet people at the um, polling place who were still undecided. I'm not sure that happens much anymore. I don't know if I have any data to back that up, but I will say in the old days, I used to work. I mean, I, I was chairman of the Board of Elections in St. Louis uh, uh, City in 2005 and six. Yeah, 2005 and six. And before that, I was active in encouraging good guys to run and good gals to run for office, especially on the pro-life issue. And so I worked polls. I mean, and when I say work polls, I worked outside the polls for candidates. And I remember feeling like you could say to someone, hey, here's some good folks, you know, take a look. And people might be looking. And that may still be true lower down the ballot, but I don't know. It feels like everybody that's showing up has an opinion. Now, I will say this with early voting, it feels like who shows up are almost always conservatives, more conservatives. You get a lot more attaboy than in the old days where you'd get people that were on the other side. Now, it seems like a lot of people vote early and a lot of them are more liberal. That That is known. Anyway, it'll, it'll be an interesting weekend. I hope uh, everybody is... Um, as I said, is engaged in the ways they want and otherwise getting ready for Tuesday. It will be, by the way, a red tsunami now. You're seeing the mainstream media and the pollsters catch up to what I was telling you for months. The reason why they're catching up is because being blatantly wrong is bad for your business model. I mean, they desperately wanted it to be really close. They desperately wanted it to be uh, a nail-biter in all these races. And uh, actually, not even that. They wanted the Democrats to be winning. So they like talking about uh, in Georgia that Herschel Walker's trailing. Well, he's up now, right? In Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz is trailing. Well, he's up now, right? So it's um, now they're catching up to the truth, which I believe they knew. But they're doing it because they have to be credible. If you're a pollster, you have to be somewhat credible to get paid the next time that there's an election. And if you're the media, you have to be credible to have people pay attention to. You don't want to be totally off the uh, boat, uh, you know, off the reservation in terms of I'm not sure you should say that anymore off the <laughs> off the mark How about that off the mark. So uh, it will be interesting to see as we get closer. All right. I, I want to point to one aspect of what will happen on Tuesday in terms of policy. And that is this. There is a poll out that says that almost 50% of Republicans do not want more involvement in the Ukraine. Now, that goes against the establishment Republicans that tend to be for more funding of Ukraine, more military. And you can argue that it's the military-industrial complex complex influence. I think it is. But whatever it is, that the in-office Republicans tend to be very pro-Ukraine. And they, they want to side on the side. They want to be on the side of Ukraine. 50% of Republicans are against more engagement, more involvement, um, and think there's too much. And a lot of progressives, liberals, that when they're calm and not thinking about uh, the parties, they don't want more war. So it's going to be interesting to see two things. One, 
What happens in the lame duck Congress? Because sometime in late November, probably right after Thanksgiving, you will see uh, Congress come into session and it will be a great negotiation. Not big stuff won't go on, I don't think. But lots, well, maybe some big money for Ukraine, but lots of other stuff will be negotiated because the Democrats will say, this is our last chance. We got to jam some things through. They'll push through some judges. They'll push through some uh, some spending if they can get it swung around they, and they will try. Um, and they will probably quietly negotiate with the Republicans to let some stuff go through in exchange for them letting some stuff go through. In other words, not objecting too much. So we'll see. It's a dangerous time. That's number one. Number two, the shift will, because of the media, social media and regular media, the shift in party leadership, meaning the Republicans in charge, will, uh, especially internationally, bring a new flavor. And my argument would be this. I think that there needs to be a real discussion about the War Powers Act and Congress's role in declaring war and what's happening in the Ukraine. I think it's very dangerous. But I would like to even uh, say, I mean, put it. I don't want to say put it aside. I want to say that's one thing that will go on. The second, though, is China. And there was bipartisan agreement on the CHIPS Act and other aspects of things. Donald Trump, the, the, the tariffs, people don't realize that uh, uh, Biden's uh, policy on tariffs and trade even is really Trump's. They haven't changed much at all. Part of that is because Trump was pretty friendly to American labor because he wanted American jobs. And that's all Biden really cares about. It seems it seems I don't know. But but my point here is, I think what we need is a vision of, of, of recognizing a vision of the real enemy, our real enemy, not our rival, not our competitor, our enemy, which is China. And if we can imagine and start to envision, that's a better word, envision China as our enemy, it will change the way we see some of these policies. In other words, uh, we're not as worried about Russia. Uh, we want stability and all, but that's not our enemy. Our enemy is China. And you can make the list and go down from trade secrets to military to Taiwan and chips to manufacturing in China to fentanyl to the influence of TikTok. I believe that there is bipartisan support to recognize the need for a real recognition of the Cold War with China. It's not a hot war yet, and I hope God knows, I hope it never is, but it is a real Cold War, and we ought to, we ought to envision that, and we ought to seek more and more understanding. I was listening to a book on tape, uh, not on tape, on Audible, a book, an audio book, and it's uh, set in the, 19, in the tw- 2000s. It's about, uh, um, it's, uh, I should say the name of the author, because they're entertaining. They're kind of mindless. When, I, when I'm on the road and I, I need something mindless, uh, I will pop on these uh, Audible books that are, that are relatively mindless. This one is a, a series of, um, uh, about the a investigator for the House of Representatives named, named DeMarco. And uh, it's Mike Lawson is the author, and it's called The Second Perimeter. Anyway, in, in that, this, the story is about um, Chinese uh, infiltration. Uh, of America um, and uh, uh, spying that's happening all around us. And, and, and my point is we need to ide- envision and popularly play out who the real enemy is. And the enemy in our n- world right now is China, communist China, period. It's not even close. And the people who are employing the communist tactics uh, that they're using to destroy our country, liberal progressives, whatever you want to call them, they are aiding and abetting the communist Chinese. Sometimes they're literally uh, on the payroll. Sometimes they're literally uh, in bed with them. Hello, Congressman Eric Swalwell. Uh, sometimes they're on the staff. Hello, Senator Feinstein. 
But this is a, this is part of what I think could be a shift. And I think it's bipartisan because there will be a lot of things that are not bipartisan, impossibly partisan. I don't think the Biden administration will make deals on much, but on China, maybe. And I think we should be looking that way. All right. I got to take a break and be back. We got a lot more to cover today. We're going to have a I'm going to replay an interview with uh, Annette Glenn. She's in one of the great fights uh, for the future of the country in a state Senate race in uh, Michigan. And also an update from Jim Robb at Numbers USA on the question of Hispanic voters. A very interesting man. And we'll talk with him in a few moments. I'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, our next guest is Jim Robb. Jim Robb, well, he's got a few hats he wears. One, the, the thing I like is he's he's a writer. Uh, there's a book called Political Migrants, Hispanic Voters on the Move, uh, available wherever you buy books, you can find it. And uh, he also works with Numbers USA, a favorite uh, of my uh, um, surfing to go over there and see what they're up to. And so welcome, Jim, to the program. How are you? I'm fine, Ed. Thank you. I'm great this morning. Well, so I, I was we were talking off off the air. And so we got a little bit of discussion, but I stopped us to go on. How do you think the election goes next week? And, and, and specifically, you mentioned a couple of aspects of the election that cycle that people may not be noticing. Tell me your thoughts as you started to off the air, please. Well, Ed, it's going to be a wave pretty clearly. I my own prediction is 35 seat Republican pickup in the House. Wow. Two, uh, two to four in the Senate. Um, of course, it depends on how people get up that day. People get up and decide, uh, yeah. you know, I think I'll vote today. Right. <laughs> then it right. becomes four. Right? right. But if people decide to turn over, you know, it's a little chilly outside. <laughs> yeah. Think I'll read that paper for an extra 10 minutes. Then it's one or or or, or tied up again. So uh, but anyway, yeah. And then the big surprise is going to be the Hispanic turnout uh, or rather the the Hispanic vote, because I think it's going to be 40 percent uh, Republican this time. And if so, Ed, that will be the highest Hispanic vote for Republicans in a midterm election ever. Hmm. And it matters a lot more. Not only it's the percentage much higher than in uh, 2018, which was not they didn't even hit uh, Republicans didn't even hit 30 percent with Hispanics in 2018. So it'll be much higher. But it's much larger population. There are many more voters because it's a young population and they're aging and, 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 and beginning to vote in massive numbers. So it matters more and more. So um, the and, and here's the other thing, Ed, that a lot of people don't realize when I say 40 percent, that's not geographically evenly distributed because uh, I've heard so many people when I've said something like, oh, 40 percent Hispanics will vote Republicans saying, well, that I mean, 60 percent against us. I guess we lose everywhere. No, because Hispanics are not the same everywhere. So in Southern California, it's not going to be 40 percent Republican. It'll be 25 percent or 20 percent. Right. Mm. But in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, where three Republican Hispanic ladies are facing off Democrats. Well, it could flip all three seats. 
Uh, well, that's right, and that's what that's a, that's why reading uh, statistics. We're talking with Jim Robb, who's the vice president over at Numbers USA. That's uh, why do you think it is? I saw in your writings and some press releases. I mean, what is it? What is about this cycle? Are we are we being are we looking for a Rosetta Stone when it's as simple as most of the country is sick of the direction of the country? It's about inflation and jobs and all. I mean, I know in some of the data you you and I were sharing, there's you know a lot of Hispanic Americans don't want an open border, right? They don't particularly think it's secure and think that that's you know the rule and order i mean well right ed it's you're well you're you're so right about that and and in fact for my book uh we have a well numbers usa has a strategic partnership with the rasmussen polling organization Uh and as you know rasmussen's one of the very most accurate political pollers out there right right and uh, we've been polling with them for for a long time. And they did a special poll just for my book, Political Migrants, Hispanic uh, Voters on the Move. And one question we asked is, uh, how is America open and welcoming to Hispanics like you? And it turns out that by massive numbers, the answer is yes. Most Hispanics are happy as clams to be in the U.S., and uh, it's a, a massive majority. I'm trying to turn to that question right now. Uh-huh. Uh, it, massive majorities say, yes, America is very open and welcoming to Hispanics like me. And of the ones who give the strongest answer, yes, America is very, very open and welcoming. Most of those voted for Donald Trump. And, and according to our poll, plan to vote for uh, Republicans this fall, the the ones who said no, America's n- the f- the few who said America's not so open and welcoming. Most of those are uh, Democrats. So uh, it's uh, again, we're talking with uh, uh, Jim Robin uh, and mm-hmm. his book is uh, Political Migrants, Hispanic Voters on the Move, uh, available where you find books. And he's uh, he is at Numbers USA, uh, one of the VPs over there, NumbersUSA.org. Uh, lots, lots of there there, as we've talked about. Uh, Roy Beck is an old friend of ours, Missouri boy. Uh, and uh, so, Jim, um what what is the uh, back to what is the relationship in the in the data between illegal immigration and the legal immigration? In other words, legal immigrants, uh, you hear this phrase, oh, they played by the rules. We played by the rules. Well, I, I just I've always wondered how it really plays out. Right. I'm so glad you asked that question. And I was marking up some places in, in my poll. It's in my, my book. First, let's talk about the illegal immigration. Do uh, people wonder? Well, a lot of Hispanics got to america illegally right. although uh the, and but but uh little known fact of the 62 million hispanics in the united states right now two-thirds were actually born here ed mm. uh so but so how do hispanics feel about illegal immigration well uh we asked them we said uh is is the government doing too little to keep people uh, uh, keep illegal immigration down at the border, or is it doing too much, or is it about right? And if we're going to talk to about a Hispanic independence, the the ones who are really the swing voters, right? Twelve percent right, right. said, "Oh, the government's doing too much mm. to stop illegal immigration at the border." Sixty-two percent said the government's doing too little to stop illegal immigration at the border also on a on a whole panoply of enforcement type questions how about e-verify yeah, well yeah yeah right That's yeah right. D- uh, guess what uh 
Hispanics want mandatory E-Verify for every U.S. employer by a three to one margin. Even the Democratic uh, Party members who are Hispanics want it by 60 percent or rather 60 percent of them want mandatory e-verify for every u.s business they it, it turns out hispanics hate illegal immigration but here's a, a here's another thing that's that's kind of shocking uh how many legal immigrants how many legal immigrants right. do hispanic want well uh of independence uh hispanic voters 42 percent want to cut legal immigration by half or more down to less than 500,000. That was the lowest answer we offered, by the way. Hmm. I wonder if we'd offered zero, what they'd say. Yeah. Um, and of the middle-aged, the 40 to 60-year-olds, the middle-aged His- Hispanic voters, 49% said half, cut it by half or more. And uh, only 12% wanted to increase immigration. Um, uh, we're talking with Jim Robb again. Uh, Jim, uh, your book, um, it, it, what, what I take from it is that the, the Hispanic voters are on the move. I mean, but does that do they move for good or is it back and forth? I mean, in other words, if you uh, it, I don't know that it was true at all, but I mean, they certainly made it seem like the media made it seem like um, uh, if you're an immigrant, you should be afraid of Trump. I'm not sure it worked, but a lot of things the media does does work. It, it, it has an impact. Right. It is. Is this movement of Hispanic voters for good? Are they looking up and saying, you know what? One side was against the parents. See um, Glenn Youngkin versus Terry uh, Terry Mm -hmm. McAuliffe. Mm -hmm. And and one side was for the transgenderism. That's kind of foreign to us in general. You know, more of the Hispanic voters are, are, uh, you know, Catholic or Christian or whatever. But um, is it a move that's permanent ish or is it a move that will go back and forth? Do you think both? Uh, part of it's per- part of it's permanent. Uh, and what what I and many other uh, people running polls have found is is that it, in this cycle is that conservatives uh, there there have always been conservatives and people who are moderately conservative among Hispanics. Right. I mean, this is well known. Also, that's true amongst American blacks. And yet blacks continue to vote Democratic Party. Why? Because for for hundreds of years, blacks in America were persecuted by white people and 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 uh tried to 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 prevent them from voting and lots of other stuff when that that stopped but still there's a long memory right Right. but here's what's different hispanics in america have never been persecuted except very intermittently and locally never nationally in fact here's one thing that i learned when i was researching my book in the treaty of uh hildalgo what is it guanajuato hildalgo Uh not pronouncing that correctly of uh that ended the mexican-american war right in 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 1848 uh all hispanics who were in the united states at the time of the signing of that treaty were made u.s citizens with right to vote and all other rights at that time Hmm. So Hispanics in the United States have never lacked the right to vote, have never been prevented from owning property or marrying, have never been any of this this nonsense. There was no Jim Crow for Hispanics. Mostly our problem has been that people want Hispanics so much they're begging them to come into the country and take cheap jobs, right? That's the whole problem. So it it so they've had a complete different experience. And as my poll question shows, this is why they, they feel America's very open and welcoming. They have no problem with Republicans. So that's why the concern so what the real movement is 
is the conservatives and the moderate conservatives that or those are moderate because on the conservative side of that are deciding that, you know, Republicans really line up with my positions that I already have better. And so they're sort of coming home. And this is what happened to the white working class about 10 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, really over the last 40 years, but really with with tr- with the rise of Trump in a very dramatic way, did it happen? And so I really think that this is just another working class group that's that's saying uh, one day, you know what? I think this party's more for the stuff I'm for. And here's an interesting uh, f- a piece of uh, data. Uh, there was a big study by uh, a Hispanic study group that's Democratic oriented after right. the 2020 election and uh, called Equus. And they did a study and they asked uh, lots of Hispanics, uh, what what are the issues from the Trump administration that you agree with? Or don't agree with. Right. Okay. Here's the answers. Here's the answers and how many Hispanics who answered their poll agreed with these these Trump positions. Rapid vaccine development. Oh, 74% agreed with that. Middle class tax cuts. 69% of all Hispanic voters agreed with that. Reopen the economy. 66% of Hispanics agreed with that. Getting tough on China. 60%. More border spending. 55% mm. agreed with that. Limiting refugees and asylum, 51% agreed with that. Reducing legal immigration, 49%, just as my poll showed. Wow. That's um, Jim Robb. I think, um, you know, I I suppose they don't want to cover it. Uh, The the media doesn't want to cover anything that doesn't sort of fit their narrative. They want to talk about threats to democracy or something. And I I think sometimes the Republicans don't want to cover some of these things. Uh, You know, as you're pointing out, Hispanics are going to be a big part of this about of this vote and while they do agree that their worry is inflation and their families and all they're normal right. they're just normal people there is this overlay that the, the, the coalition the, the groups of people that would say secure the border are much different than just uh white guys right and that's uh one of the things that your your information shows well, so well yeah and and ed here's the thing that i really think is is, is kind of a chuckle so uh democrats about 15 years ago made an a unholy bargain they thought if they went far to the left on immigration and sort of went to an open borders policy, they would win Hispanic votes forever. Hmm. And so they did that. And what did they do? They alienated the whole white working class, lost them all, basically. Right. Right. But they said, I'm going to make it up because the Hispanics are growing so fast and they love open borders. And guess what? They didn't do the research because if they had just asked Hispanics, it turns out Hispanics not only don't love open borders, they hate open borders. Hmm. It threatens them more than any other group. If you're an American citizen, Hispanic, voting in an election and you're looking at people coming in to take jobs under the table. That's right, your right, job. Right, that's right, your right. job they're taking. <laughs> they hate it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it turns out that uh, Democrats, by making this unholy bargain, they lost not just mm. one working class. They've lost two. Yeah. Huh. Jim Robb, thank you for coming on. I got to run, unfortunately. Uh, I think you're onto something, and I hope that you uh, get your voice even lifted more. I know you're over at Numbers USA. Jim Robb is a vice president over there. And uh, also, you can check out, I'll put on his uh, on uh, social media. I happen to pull it up, I think, on Barnes and Noble, but it's available anywhere books are sold uh, on this topic. And I think, I hope again, this um, the understanding of what's actually going on uh, will get out there. NumbersUSA.org is the website. His book is Political Migrants. 
Hispanic, uh, uh, excuse me, Hispanic voters on the move. How America's largest minority is flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Jim Rob, Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. And I'll put all that up on social media. Don't worry. Uh, and, uh, and we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. A few months ago, we talked with Annette Glenn about her race. She's a state representative up in uh, in Michigan, and she's running for the state Senate. We talked about her race with her, and we I wondered how it was going. Well, we got her on the phone, and uh, it's rushing towards the finish line. Uh, so how are you, Annette? How's everything looking? It is a tight race. So we are going to be working until the pl- polls close next Tuesday and we need all of your help. Yeah, I wanted to say that. I mean, look, it, it now but it, even more interesting, your race became sort of a national race, you know. Usually you we've seen governors races, senate races become nationalized, even sometimes an attorney general race or a secretary of state. This is a state senate seat and money coming in from out of uh out of the state for your opponent. Tell me what the dynamic is. Tell us what the district is again. What you know where um things are and why it's suddenly so hot. Well, like the rest of the country, we had redistricting this year. And what they did was they drew parts of three state Senate seats together Mm. from each of them being a heavy Republican seat to drawing it together to be a 53 percent Democrat seat. This seat determines whether the Republicans main control in the state Senate or whether Democrats take control. So that's why it has become so important in Michigan and around the state. This seat determines so much. Do we keep and progress towards good things or do we slide backwards and lose so many things that we've been fighting for over the years? Well, and we're, we're talking with Annette Glenn. If you go to AnnetteGlenn.com, and I'll put it up on social media, we're talking about District 35 State uh, Senate in Michigan. Um, what It's that close. I mean, what we, we hear Michigan in our, in our uh, across the country, but people, it, 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 the, the legislature is that closely divided, at least the state Senate is, right? Well, not currently, but under the new plan, it is that close. They have, uh, we had the Citizens Redistricting Commission and the very last thing on the list of priorities, which should have meant a small priority put on it, was partisan fairness. So they went from seats that represented communities and were held together a little bit better into trying to make every seat in the state 50-50 which has been challenging. So this one, again, went from a solid Republican, parts of all three, into a 53% Democrat seat. So it's taken every door, every donation. So yes, if your listeners want to go to AnnetteGlenn.com and make a donation, we will put it to good use in this last week. Uh, that's right. And we will put that up on social media. And I, I think, uh, Annette, um, who's your opponent? What's the contrast uh, between you? Again, we're talking about Michigan State Senate District 35, AnnetteGlenn.com. Tell us about your opponent, the contrast. Kristen McDonald Rivet. So a number of years ago, long before I was involved in politics in Michigan, she was part of the Democrat policy staff in D.C. or or here in Michigan. And then from there, moved over to run the Department of Education under um, Governor Granholm. And under Governor Granholm, we lost 500,000 people plus leaving the state because the economy was so bad. Hmm. Uh, She was elected about the same time I was to a city council position um, as I was to state Senate. During that time, she has raised her own pay. 
um, increased utility rates, um, gotten support from some radical groups all around the state. We have uh, the most radical Proposal 3 on our ballot here which would become the most radical abortion policy in the entire country. It would allow abortion up to the day and thereafter. Um, No parental consent removes all health and safety standards. So that's another reason that it has become um, nationalized, because that's what they're headed for. She strongly supports that proposal. I'm doing everything we can to protect women and children and make sure that uh, we don't move into that radical agenda. We protect our families here. How badly has this governor, Governor Whitmer, um, she really was one of the worst in terms of handling uh, a lot of things, the uh, COVID, the economy. She's a she's a sort of Biden uh, acolyte. But is that um, is that is she dragging down the ticket? I mean, are people associating uh, those policies with the Democrats in the state? Is that helping? It has been an interesting one to watch. The governor has been able to outspend her challenger about 20 to 1, and yet was never able to get her poll numbers over 51%. So as the challenger has continued to move up in the polls, it is going to be a tight race, much tighter than I think this governor ever expected. Hmm. Um, This governor did have some of the most severe lockdowns in the country. Uh, We still had kids out of school this past year. Uh, We were one of those states where COVID positive patients were put in nursing homes. Um, And other states pulled back and retracted that policy. This state continued to send COVID positive patients into our nursing homes. So hard lockdowns, hard, hard recovery. We're still watching businesses close and suffer. Mm. Annette Glenn is our guest. Uh, she's a state representative running for state Senate in uh, Michigan's uh, 35th state Senate seat. As she described to you, it's one of the closest in the country and one of the most important in the sense that it's a balance of power in Michigan. Um, the uh, You mentioned the ballot initiative. Um, it was struck down by the initially by the courts. They said there was errors on the on the signature gathering. It's uh, on the ballot. I think I know that uh, Planned Parenthood said they'd spend up to 40 or 50 million million dollars to get out the vote that's got to be a massive factor is it well i think everybody before the supreme court ruling assumed the economy was going to be the number one issue and then things pivoted we saw in midland where i currently represent about 800 people show up for a rally in support of the abortion stand and proposal three but i can tell you people who signed that proposal have now learned more and more about it. And the last rally they did in Midland, those numbers had dropped to about 200 or less. Because hmm. not very many people support abortion up to the day of. Not very many people support not having any health and safety standards. Not very many people support removing parental rights. Um, and I, did you see that I had uh, a parental rights bill signed yes. by the governor? No, I didn't see it was signed by her. No, how'd you pull that off? She did actually sign it. Well, back in uh, January, the Democrat State Party put out on their Facebook a post that said something. Well, here's what it said exactly. Not sure where this parent should control what's taught in schools because they are kids is originating. But parents do have an option to choose to send their schools to a private school at their own expense if they so desire. Hmm. Um 
the client of the public school is not the parent, but the entire community, the, the Facebook post went on. They pulled that down shortly thereafter because I don't think very many people wanted to be um, tied closely to that. Right. So I uh, had a bill drafted that purely quotes state law. And state law has said for generations that parents have the right in public schools to determine what should be taught. So we uh, put together that bill. It passed in the House 84 to 20. We are close to 50-50 split, but it was 84 to 20. And then when it got over to the Senate, uh, 28 to 5 Hmm. is how it passed out of the Senate. So the governor did sign it very quietly, but what it would require <laughs> is the parental, the, that state law to be posted in principal's offices, in school board rooms, and then in uh, our Department of Ed also pushed out videos just in the last couple of months telling telling teachers to not have these discussions with parents, to not tell them if their kids were interested in changing their gender, to not tell them if they were changing their names or various other things, and to basically tell them to not keep the parents involved in supporting their students. So I think the governor has a a different position. We figured it was going to be a win-win if she signed it. This would be posted in school board rooms, reiterating that parents do have a right to be involved in their children's education and should be involved. I know the teachers I talk to say the students, the more they involve the parents, the better it is all around. Um, So she very quietly signed it. There was no press conference, (laughs) no press (laughs) conference, no invitation to a bill signing. (laughs) Uh Well, that's impressive. Uh, AnnetteGlenn.com is the website. All right. One uh, last line. I know because your great husband, Gary, who's a friend of mine for years, worked with me on a bunch of stuff. I think he liked very much sending out the email, I don't know, months ago that showed that talked about how you were, you, uh, Annette, were a state champion in the mile relay and so i remember there's a great picture of you running and you were as a, a young woman you were running and and this this issue of girls sports obviously it's personal for you and you got i, I think it's your son played football one of your sons are uh, but but your opponent is on the far left on this i i gotta think normal people uh, uh, see the contrast do they Oh, I think they very clearly see the difference. I have found that this issue is not partisan in the least. Um, Girls sports was relatively new back when I was running. Our state (laughs) champion track team only had 13, 14 members. That was all that were competing for for the women's group. Uh, I had younger siblings that had the opportunity to play soccer, lacrosse, various other things. Those sports were not available in high school at the point in time when I was going through. So this Title IX that's allowed our girls to uh, have access to these sports for scholarships, the leadership, and all those things that come from sport is something that has been a long fart battle. And to allow that to be taken away is just unconscionable. Uh, women need those scholarships. They need those opportunities. I'm happy to talk about other options for other people that want to compete, but it's important that women compete against women yeah. and uh, continue to have those opportunities. Well, AnnetteGlenn.com, I know you're busy on the trail. Good luck down the stretch, just a few weeks, uh, and uh, God bless you in your work, and we'll look forward to it, and we'll spread the word, and folks that want to help. I, I, I've been telling my listeners, Annette, that down the stretch, you got to look for these uh, key races where a little bit will make a difference. There's a lot of races where a little bit just doesn't matter at this point. This is one where a little bit will make a difference. Annette Glenn dot com we'll put it up on social media and good luck down the stretch 
Thank you. And a little bit will help. Any little bit that comes in this week will make a difference and pulling us over the finish line. Good. So thanks for having me on. Keep fighting the fight. Great. Annette Glenn, everybody, and make I'll make sure to put up on social media and uh, the specifics on our district. We need folks to step up and help. So uh, thank you for that. And we will uh, take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Legalizing pot does not end the black market for it, as proven by the bust of an illegal pot operation in California's Bay Area, where $4 million worth of the plants were seized. The Cannabis Research Center at the University of California in Berkeley reported last year that there are still more illegal cannabis farms than lawful ones. That's a half decade after California legalized pot, and the pretext back then was ending the illegality. Bills headed to California's governor now for signature include legalizing marijuana use for animals and prohibiting employers from firing workers for off-duty pot smoking. Voters in Missouri... Arkansas, Maryland, North Dakota, and South Dakota should not want to become more like California, where advertisements to buy and smoke pot are everywhere. The pungent stench of marijuana crops extends for more than a mile. The Marijuana Ballot Initiative in Missouri is a confusing 38 pages of single-space fine print, which should not have been allowed on the ballot. This bill would never pass the Missouri legislature and should not be approved by voters. On top of all this, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit just ruled that states may be prohibited by the Constitution from limiting the importation of marijuana into their states. Already, vans are illegally selling marijuana on the streets of New York City, which has become so troublesome there that the mayor instituted a task force to crack down on it. On July 21st, senators from the East and West Coast introduced the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act into the U.S. Senate to try to expand marijuana nationwide. The cannabis industry is complaining that it's not making enough money, but the opportunity for that industry means harm for others. Big Weed is not only increasing the potency of their product, but their political potency as well. Armed with the money of drug-addled Americans, Big Weed is launching major campaigns throughout our nation to increase the reach of their power. Let's put our communities first and kick cannabis to the curb. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, two things I want to impart to you right now. Very important one. 
On election night, I'll be on with the great Andrea Kay. We will be doing our uh, tag team. I'm not sure yet. I've got a couple of other interviews i got to step off and step on for. But so it's it's the Andrea Kay show, Ed Martin, uh, stealing time with her and her great audience. So if you are uh, interested in the coverage, it begins at uh, 6 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock East Coast time. Should have a bunch of results in. It'll be a lot of fun. Andrea Kay and I on air, I have to say, we have a great time. Noah Dingley, our great producer, usually jumps in. So we love that. So uh, that's the answer, Sandy. Diego does an awesome job. I used to, I, I came out there, can't say I used to, came out there once for election night, and other times we've done different programming. It's been a couple of years and uh, lots happening. So we, we will be together, though, and I hope you'll join us on election night. Andrea Kay and myself, uh, and it's the Andrea Kay Show, and then I'll be jumping in there, and also Noah Dingley, our great uh, producer. So look forward to that. All right, um, the Oprah factor, the Oprah factor. I, I'm, I'm interested that this finally happened. And it's an indication of what's going on because in the race in Pennsylvania for months, we've been told, oh, Fetterman's winning. You know, Oz hasn't been able to really get any traction and Oz has not. Oz had a tough primary and it's going to be hard for him. And then suddenly, with just a few days left, Oprah endorses Fetterman. Why? Well, the reason why is because Fetterman's failing. He's failing and flailing and he begged for it. And it suddenly looks like. Dr. Oz is going to win to the Democrats. It's looked like he's going to win to me for ages. But it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, in politics, it, it's no surprise that people uh, will, I don't know, say, say this the wrong way, but betray their friends, certainly go against their friends. There's no such thing as permanent friends in uh, politics. And uh, you, I think Oz is living that. Now, Oz has said in private discussions, you've heard him say it, or it's been reported, that he asked uh, Oprah to stay out. He knew she wouldn't want to be uh, too conservative like he is, but he asked her to stay out, and she did until now. And the reason why is because Fetterman's losing, and they're desperate. Fetterman's failing and flailing and begging for Oprah was his best last hope. It won't work. So sorry for Oz that his friend did that to him, or so-called friend, uh, but not surprised. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna Spilger, our associate producer, and you for listening. Have a great weekend. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you next week. America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.